0: alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi,
1: my name is Jonathan, and I'm the founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop. I want to personally invite you to be part of our next workshop coming up December 2nd through the 4th in Texas. So call us today at 210-822-8201 or visit gatewaymen.com.
0: Your hosts for Pure Sex Radio are Jonathan Doherty and Stephen Cervantes. Jonathan is the director of Be Broken Ministries and founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop for Men. Stephen is the founder of the Hope Counseling Center. Visit us online at puresexradio.com. And now, please welcome Jonathan and Stephen on Pure Sex Radio. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio
1: broadcast. We're glad to have you here with us. My name is Jonathan Darty, and I'm here with Stephen Cervantes. How are you, my brother?
2: I am good. I'm glad to be here. I'm
1: excited. Yeah,
2: we're we're
1: excited about finally starting to feel like we're getting some fall weather around here mm-hmm. in, in Texas, and so it's feeling good. But listeners, we want to thank you so much for um, being part of this program. We always appreciate your feedback. We are so grateful for your partnership uh, if you would like to learn about the ways that you can come alongside and partner with this ministry, simply go to puresexradio.com and click on the donate link. And in this session, we're going to be talking about some of the responses that we've gotten from men who have uh, attended and participated in our Gateway to Freedom workshop. And if if you're a guy out there, whether you're single, married, divorced, whatever, if you are a man who is saying, I, I just feel stuck or "I I need to... I need to know what it's going to take to really overcome the strongholds and the sexual struggles that I've got in my life. We have had hundreds of men over the years that have come through the Gateway to Freedom workshop and kind of had their their aha moments and been able to really get some breakthroughs and see incredible transformation in their lives. And if you would like to learn more about the Gateway to Freedom workshop and how you can attend an upcoming workshop, simply go to gatewaymen.com. That's gatewaymen.com. Or you can call us toll-free at 1-800-49-PURITY. So, Stephen, why don't you share with us where we're going to go with some of these guys' comments.
2: Well, do you release the podcasts on Tuesdays? Is that when you release them? Usually, if I'm on time, usually they're Tuesday (laughs) afternoons. So I go to the, the gateway to freedom weekend and one of the guys comes up to me says, I love Tuesdays because that's when the new podcast comes out. That's awesome. And I thought, wow, that's pretty good. And he was just excited. I met with a bunch of men that are fabulous men, uh, strugglers, but fabulous guys, great hearts, uh, willing to grow and be honest and open and share. And uh, this last retreat, I mean, it was from eighteen to sixty or something. It was just a broad spread, and in terms of their ages, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, I'm excited because I ask, may I, you know, write some of your comments down and use them to bless other men. We never say a name, but uh, every man says, absolutely, you have permission. So. These comments given by brothers are for brothers. And and this is for wives, too. It's for educational mm-hmm. purposes across the board. But, but for wives, it's more like you get to peek
1: behind the curtain and kind of see what's going on in the hearts of these men as they wrestle with these issues. Yes.
2: And the second comment I got was I wrote a little booklet called A Lover's Repent. And it is a lover, a man made in the image of God uh, crying out t- to God about the messes that he's made and sort of repenting over what he's done to himself and his wife and to his God. And so one of the guys came up to me and said, I read the book, I read the book, it helped me, it helped my wife, it was really good, it expressed my heart. So I got two blessings over the weekend from Gateway Men, so I appreciate you guys very much. That's great. And so I made a list, and we're going to go over that list right now. Uh you know think about it we got eight guys sitting around a circle they don't know each other right and over the course of a couple of days we're going to go deeper than you go anywhere else in life i mean i just do not find this experience Mm -hmm. even sitting one-on-one with an individual not the same as a group of men playing off each other sharing uh adding you know going deep together so these statements are not simple statements these are these are difficult, hard, heavy statements, but uh, but they're designed to bless you and to let us peek inside. And so I thank my brothers for letting me say these. So let's get going here. Let's go. <laughs> so the first one is I've been dishonest with myself my whole life. I have not been honest with myself my whole life. How, how do you live well mm. if you're not honest with yourself? How does that sentence strike you? Well, the
1: very first thing that comes to my mind is just how much unease that that must create in mm. in a person's life. And I, I can identify with this because up to my recovery, I lived the same way, a very divided, double life. And and the one thing that was always the most predominant characteristic in that was that there was never any peace in my being. Mm. And so it's just such a, it's a peaceless, I mean, there's no peace in that because If you think about it, what is, what does dishonesty do? It, it divides. Cause let's say you and I are having a conversation, Steve. Okay. And so, so we're talking about something. And the instant that I introduce a lie, what have I essentially done? I have taken a part of me and I've hidden it from you. Mm. Because I'm carrying, I know what the truth is, but what I told you. Is a lie. So immediately yeah. creates a divide where there's a part of me that you don't know now because I have lied.
2: And so there's no. Like a falsehood has been introduced. Yeah, right. there's disconnection. There's yes. discord. There's no peace. Hmm. And so are you saying you've become a more peaceful person?
1: Much. I have different stressors now. I have teenagers.
2: <laughs> so that's a completely different. <laughs> but the old acting out stuff. Sort of settles down, and you can. You're, yeah. you're saying now to other men that you could have more peace in your being than you can imagine if you're starting the journey.
1: And here's the thing that is peaceful about it, because it no longer feels like a threat if anybody wants to look over your shoulder. Mm. I had that same thought because yeah. you're like, there's nothing to hide. I don't have anything to hide. If so. you
2: once you tell your story and your secrets are out, the power is gone for yeah. anybody to go. Hey, you know what you're like. You, go, yeah, I know what I'm like. You know it too, okay? Yeah, that's how I'm like. And I didn't die, and I wasn't destroyed. Yeah. So you know, and you know what's interesting about this statement is that everybody has goofy thoughts in their head. Oh yeah. And distortions, and and the whole idea of honesty means getting clarity, Mm -hmm. right? So I haven't been honest with myself. So I've mucked up my own life, and then I've mucked up the lives of others around me. Mm -hmm. And so the next statement is this. I have to go deeper. I just have to look deeper inside myself. I have to stop running away. I have to be more honest. I got to dig into this stuff.
1: Well, the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear that is that humility has broken through. When somebody recognizes, okay, uh, the level upon which I'm living my life, the level at which I'm living my life, this kind of shallow existence, this double life, this secret you know, Mm. part of me, in order to, in order to change, I'm gonna have to look at things that maybe I've not looked at before or things that I've hidden or, you know, things that I've not only hidden from myself, but I've hidden from others. And it takes, it takes two things. I think it takes a great deal of humility and courage to do that because to recognize that you've got things that are much deeper in your being that you've not tapped into, but you know, you need to that's not something that you can just lightly on a Saturday afternoon go, oh, yeah, you know what? I need to go deeper. It's like, no, there's a real,
2: there's a heaviness
1: to that. You, and it's a fear, a, right?
2: It's yeah, so absolutely. obvious. Yeah, let's go deeper. I mean, that's a very simple thing. But it sort of paralyzes people. Mm-hmm. We avoid looking inside ourselves. And I, was, I made this comment the other day. You know, our traumas, our young, hard stories are encoded as children. And, I mean, I've I've seen men just cry to have to face their past. Well, and if
1: you and think about it, all the things that we hide, there is a reason that we hid them. Mm. Now, not all those reasons may be great. Yes. But if, especially when you think about it, I'm glad you brought up childhood, because especially when you think of all the things that we might have hidden in childhood— We were we were operating with the best that we had. That's right. Intellectually, emotionally,
2: spiritually, whatever the best eight or ten year old thinking you could come up with.
1: So when a ten year old sees pornography and
2: he tells nobody about that, yeah,
1: I'm not going to throw him under the bus. Right. He hid. He had a reason for hiding that.
2: And that was his best thinking. That's what you're saying. Now
1: what we're seeing in this man now, he's no longer a child, is he's realizing, you know, all those things that I have in that compartment that I've hidden and that Mm. I've stuffed down, I think I need to go down in there. I I think I need to do some cleaning up in there, but it's very scary. And so it takes humility and courage. Yeah. And
2: so the reason I was going to say, why is it hard to go deeper inside ourselves? Because uh, all of our stories are encoded as kids, 8, 10, 12, whatever young, however young we are, and we think we have to go back and be that again, mm. right? Oh, yeah. We forget we're old and we will never be there again. Yeah. But it's overwhelming. Every time you think about it, you, you it's almost like if you have to go back there, you have to be that vulnerable kid again. It's like, I'm not going back there. I'm never going to be that again. But by by that thinking, we hinder ourselves. And you know what? As you're saying that, I'm thinking maybe that's why
1: these groups at the Gateway to Freedom Workshop are so powerful because
2: now they
1: have some men around them, maybe even men they've just met, that are saying, we can go there together. You don't have to be the alone kid anymore. You don't have to be the, the kid that doesn't have brothers, doesn't have you know mm. advocates for you as you go back. So I think there's yes. a, that's where some of the strength in the group comes is you don't have to go deeper
2: alone. That's right. And you know what's exciting? I When I hear a brother talk about a sexual struggle, I'm a sexual being, too. Mm -hmm. I'm a male, too. I came up through teenage years, too. It was confusing and difficult to me, too. And so you hear things that you thought that never was spoken before. And it's like, "Ah, I thought that, too. Oh, you thought that, too? Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. And it's just there's such pleasure and almost childish delight in going, "Ah, really, really, as we finish growing ourselves up, if you will. That's good. So one of the gentlemen said this. He said, I tried and tried and tried to please my mother, but my mother would never be pleased. She could not be pleased. So I went to plan B. I rebelled. And not only did I rebel, I tried to hurt my mother with my rebellion. Now think about that as a kid. That's that's what you said. It was some of our thinking, our best thinking, uh, if I can't please you, fine. I must be some defective bad thing. Well, then I'll act like a defective bad thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Comment? You know, it's interesting. What I see in that is there's there's these fundamental needs that we have. and And when I say needs, I want to make it clear to the audience, there is a difference between our biological needs and our relational needs. So for instance, if I don't get affirmed in my life, I'm not going to biologically die necessarily. You know, if I don't get food and water, obviously I'm going to die. So when we talk about needs, we have to understand there's there's a distinction between biological and relational, but it doesn't diminish the power and the effect of those relational needs. Just because your body may not physically drop dead if you are not affirmed as a child, mm. doesn't mean that it doesn't have really def- destructive effects. And what I see in this is I see a little boy saying I want my mother to affirm me. It's yes. a legitimate need yes. for her to say I'm proud of you. You did well. Mm-hmm. You're mine, you know. And when that didn't happen, his only recourse at whatever age he was here was I'm going to I have to adopt a revenge model. And so one of the things that I think is so important is to recognize that again, our responses that we have in childhood are not baseless. There was a reason why he went to this model. The reason was a legitimate need was not being met. Now, did he adopt a really healthy model for trying to address? No. no, but he was a kid. It's the best he could come up with. The fact that he's recognizing this now is, you know what? I think one of my core problems, I think one of the core things that started sending me askew was the fact that this legitimate need of me needing to be affirmed was not met by my mother. Mm. And, and therefore, you- I started a different plan.
2: And, you know, in the end, he said, I rebelled and I'm, uh, I was going to hurt her. But who got hurt also? He did, yeah. He got hurt and he got bad training. He got a bad uh self-image, right? Because he had to start be- believing he's the rebel and acting like the rebel. And so it, it ends up messing him up f- for years, mm-hmm. right? The stuff that starts early, it's woven in there quietly laying down in the program. So the this other gentleman said... When my wife gets angry and upset and hurt and she's telling me how disappointed she is, I just tune her out, disconnect, and walk away. Mm -hmm. And he said, I think I've been doing that all my life. When somebody's mad and angry and showing displeasure, I just zone out, disconnect, turn around, give my backside, walk away. Mm -hmm. Now, you can hear survival in that, right? You can hear coping in that. But when you take that into adulthood and you get married and you say, okay, let's talk. But wait a minute, I'm struggling, I'm sad, I'm mad, I'm hurt. And you turn and walk away. She goes, what?
1: Well, I think one of the things that's, uh, for
2: our listeners, if this is something that you
1: do yourself or that you are in relationship with somebody that does this, I think it's very important to understand, like, where did this start? Because so many times there there can be a lot of different factors for this. I I can relate to this one quite a bit. And I think for me personally, the reason that a lot of times my MO is, hey, disconnect, run away, you know, (laughs) just get away from the conflict or whatever, is that somewhere along the way I picked up the idea that if somebody presents a problem to me, I must solve it. So what happens, Stephen, how long do you have to be alive in life to have people that tell you their problems? <laughs> and you realize that, you know, maybe 1% of them you have a solid answer for how to solve it. Right. And so a lot of times what that means is if you're going to bring me your problems, and if I have a, if I have a mindset that says, well, my, the, my yes. paradigm that I'm coming from is I have to solve them, then if I don't have the solution, I feel very inadequate, I feel very confused, I feel very powerless, and so it's and easier for me to just turn away. And- you
2: know what's interesting is that you're you're sensitive to a person in pain, mm-hmm. right? I'm in pain and I'm telling you my pain and I'm bringing my pain to you and my pain is bad and you're here and I'm telling you pain and you're saying, "Wow, this is a lot of pain. I'm just one guy. How can I, you know, fix all this pain?" So you're saying just The tendency is to move away, disengage. This is too fiery, hot, too intense, Mm -hmm. too much, and that's just one way
1: to look at it. There could be a whole number of different reasons Mm -hmm. why this individual learned the pattern to disconnect whenever confronted with something difficult. Uh, There,
2: you know, yeah, could have been all kinds of factors, right? But you think the bottom line is poor training, right? Nobody said, "Hey, wait a minute." I'm just going to talk when somebody's telling you a problem, just listen. The problems between them and God, the, you know, it's a great gift you give listening and keeping yourself here and, and letting someone talk and get their, their, their thoughts straightened out. And, you know, that's a wonderful thing, right? But if you don't have that training and you don't know that, mm-hmm. that you're going to your plan.
1: Yeah. And I think some of this is just, um, especially if, if you're married, then if a, if a wife is coming to her husband And sharing 14 things at once. Yes. Some of it is just kind of male hardwiring that if we're jumping around from box to box to box to box, I mean, there's, he's still stuck in box number one trying to figure out, well, what was she talking about here? So I'm not saying that all of this is immediately and directly connected Mm -hmm. to pain or, you know, but, but a lot of it is, I think when, especially in the context that these guys are sharing this stuff with us, a lot of it is connected to a lot of that childhood pain and I learned along the way that it seemed like the easier route to take was just to walk away and disconnect. Yes. And what he's learning now is that hasn't proven to be a very good solution to my relationship issues. You know? Yeah.
2: As a kid, it's a great solution: walk away, survive. But when you you get married and and you know you're in relationships and people ask you for help and you're you know you got maturity, it's like help me, but you're doing the child thing again, mm-hmm. right? You know, I'm going to make up an age. Say this was a 50 year old man. Think about this statement. A 50 year old man says to the rest of the group, I have no close friends. I have no close friends. Um, I, friends are hard to maintain. To have a friend, you got to keep calling him. He calls you. You got to keep doing stuff. You got to build that over years. And then you have a friend, right? Mm hmm. But what's it like just to to go along, go along, bounce along, show up in a crowd, be at an event, see people you know, wave, but have no close friends? Well, it's interesting
1: because um, having done this ministry full-time for 13 years now, um, one of the most common responses I get from men when we start talking about relationship issues is, I'll just ask them straight up, who's your best friend? Did you know in 13 years— I've never had a man who has an immediate response.
2: You mean he has to think and go down? list? He has the to list, think, and a lot of times he
1: has to ask me to clarify what he means by a best the friend. Best friend yeah. And to me, just even asking the clarifying question means he doesn't even he he doesn't know what a friendship is about. And and I think part of that is because mm-hmm. the whole paradigm out of which, you know, an addiction grows and all that kind of stuff is very much a lonely, self-focused paradigm. Yes. And so it doesn't it, it makes total sense that if that's the paradigm you're living from, you're not going to have any close friends because you're not going to be in a mindset of wanting to pursue and see the need for close friends. But what I what I hear in this is I hear getting back to the legitimate needs, I hear just that longing for acceptance. I do want somebody to know me. Yes, I don't yes. have anybody that really knows me. And mm. that's a very lonely, painful place to live. And it's no wonder, then, that we want to go to some kind of coping mechanism to make us feel better in the moment because that level of loneliness is unbearable.
2: Hey, you trying to depress me or what? Hey, you're yeah. the one that's bringing up the comments. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the next comment. These are pretty intense. I mean, think about sitting around the weekend and hearing these comments. Real guys, real struggles. And one of the gentlemen said, I've really never accepted myself. Mm. I never accepted, I don't have acceptance of myself. I spend all day with me, I go to bed with me, I get up to me, but I have not accepted myself. And And think about that, that, that I'm a struggler, that I'm okay, that I'm like regular guys, uh, that, that I battle through the sexual journey like every man goes through. I'm, I haven't accepted and said I'm okay. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, when I, when I first saw that one and heard you, you say it, the first thing that came to my mind is I think this is very, very true for many who have actually grown up in a religious household. Mm-hmm. And I think the the reason I'm saying that is because I think there is this this unintended consequence that some parents have who are trying to teach their kids about being selfless and being sacrificial and giving and all of that. Yes. That they miss making very clear that that little boy or little girl has intrinsic value and worth. Mm-hmm. That they are worth caring for, that they are worth embracing themselves, that they have a value that... Because so sometimes I think some of the the well-meaning religious training of being selfless and giving and sacrificial for others causes a little child to think... I must not be important. So therefore, everything is about everybody else. It's all about meeting mom and dad's needs, or it's all about doing things for other people. And then they forget that, well, I'm actually important, or they've never been told that they themselves are important. and if you're
2: real religious, and you're at church all the time, and you're doing activities for everybody else, then you go home, and you're neglected. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very confusing, right? So then doing is good, but just being is not okay. There's something wrong with me. And then I think also woven into that, there can be this idea that there's conditional
1: acceptance. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, you're accepted if you're, you know, hitting home runs and doing the right thing. But we are going to withhold acceptance of you if you are striking out and doing the wrong thing. And I think the proper view here, and I think this is what this guy's struggling with, is I have never embraced the fullness of myself. Mm-hmm. I may have wanted to highlight all the things that I do well and really promote that to everybody around me, but am I willing to actually embrace my weaknesses? Am I willing to just, in the same way that God puts his loving arms around my entire being, am I willing also to say, I, I accept me?
2: So I'm going to put two thoughts together here. One of the guys said, I really hate myself. And I have a deep longing for acceptance. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I hate myself. Well, look, if you look at all your failings, if everybody stacked up all their failings, it would probably be very detestable, right? Everything you've done wrong oh, yeah. over the course of your life, the neglect, the you know, the, you know, the cruelty at times, picking on people, things you said, didn't say, leaving people that needed help and walking. I mean, just think about it, It, not to include all the other things that we talk about in terms of sometimes people have hurt and abuse and use other people, put that on there and everything else with abuse of alcohol and just, I mean, just throw everything on a pile. It it would look, it would look pretty bad. So if you're saying I hate the things that I've done, I, I sort of get that. But to say I hate myself, mm-hmm. I hate who I am, that's really hard to go to sleep with and sleep well, you know.
1: This is absolutely, I think, at the heart of uh, shame dialogue. This is exactly the way shame talks to us. Shame wants us to look at all those things that we've done. And rather than seeing them as behaviors that are absolutely wrong and and terrible and even, um, you know, sinful, shame wants us to believe that that then defines our value. And so when we connect those two, rather than saying, hey, listen, I screwed up, we instead say, I am a screw up. And so it's like you're starting to look at behavior and listen, who hasn't screwed up, right? I mean, every single one of us, all have sinned. But the thing is, shame then wants to say, and as a result of that, you're worthless, you're despicable, you are unacceptable. And this is why I think so many become depressed on this journey of sexual brokenness is because they repeatedly try to soothe the pain of what shame is telling them. And guess where it only leads to more destructive behaviors. And that only adds to the pile, which is trying to tell them because of all these things you've done wrong, you are unacceptable. And so this is very much
2: a shame dialogue that has to be addressed very good i'm going to put three comments together here i know i noticed something about my family my mom and dad overlooked overlooked our emotional development neither mom nor dad was helping us grow emotionally and dad the only thing i can say about dad is we didn't know him
0: mm.
2: we didn't know dad and mom well mom taught me how to be a man mm. What do you think?
1: This is, um, well, that last one, Mom taught me how to <laughs> that, be a man. Wow. That is, um, Mom may have thought she taught you how to be a man, right. but and I'm not trying to throw this guy's mom under the bus. She obviously tried her best. Mm-hmm. But only a man can teach another
2: man how to be a man. That's right. So it's like, I That's mean. That's why we're doing manhood training. Now, I want Instead to. Instead of straight out there.
1: I want to. I I do not want to disrespect any mothers out
2: there. Mm, no. That's I know true. there's
1: so many single moms and God bless you you are you are working hard and I want to cheer yes. you on to do the best you can. That's right. Um but what I'm trying to say here is in terms of understanding the full development of a boy into a man, a he needs a man to actually show and model and mentor and teach him that. Um, moms can help tremendously in terms of just him understanding principles and all that. But a mom, a woman can never model manhood for another, for a boy. So that's all I'm saying with that. And so therefore, at the least, this boy got a confused Mm -hmm. modeling of, okay, she might've tried to teach him how to be a man, but she couldn't model it. And so he's
2: confused about what it means to be a man. So one other thought, we'll close with this one. Um, I was always scared of girls. And you know what? When girls are scary, porn is a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that's a little bit of every man? How do you approach a girl and get their attention and start a dialogue and relationship and, you know, develop so that something that turns into... Love and marriage. I'll say this. Fantasy always
1: seems easier than reality at first Mm -hmm. until you recognize that your real needs cannot be met through fantasy. Mm -hmm. And that's where then the challenge comes. And so Mm -hmm. we're going to wrap up with that. And listeners, thank you for for being with us this week. Uh, To the men out there, if you're struggling and you you need somebody to come alongside you in your journey, if some of these things resonated with you, please reach out to us. We want to help you with that. And we look forward to having you all back here next week on the Pure Sex Radio Broadcast.
0: Thanks, Gateway Men. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.